This uh, study tonight has kind of been a long time coming. I've been putting it together for a while, and, and it was really prepared with a heavy heart. Uh, I've entitled it Good News, Bad News, and we're going to start with the bad news. We live in an evil, violent society. If you follow the news on TV or on the radio or the internet, you know how depressing it can be. I'm going to give you just a few examples of some of the news that I've seen or come across during this time. A recent one, uh, you may have seen this just in the last few days. A satanic group wants to build a statue of, state, of Satan at the Oklahoma State Capitol. They showed a depiction in the image of this. It's a goat-headed beast with wings and horns sitting on a throne with smiling small children around him. I read about uh, families in Central Africa who are going through difficult times uh, in religious circles, the Christians and the Muslims. They're massacring whole families in these tribal areas where they go in and take out one person at a time from these villages and kill them with knives and machetes. Imagine the terror, one by one, if you're a child, being led out, maybe even being a witness to what had just happened before, and now you've got to go out there with these people who want to put you to death. There was another story some time ago about uh, undertakers at a mortuary. A small body bag was delivered to the mortuary. It was in Louisiana, and... Uh, what they brought in in this bag were the butchered remains of a seven-year-old child. And it seems that the, the dad had taken his son and put him to bed peacefully. Nothing was unusual. And then he went back in later and picked him up out of his bed and ripped him to pieces. And the undertakers at the funeral home opened the bag and positioned each limb where it belonged on a small table. And one of them, who was a believer, said, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us all. Last October, a 10-year-old Colorado girl was kidnapped and murdered. And her body was found dumped in a remote park. The county supervisor said, we're living in a world that feels out of control. And I think many of us can relate to that. We see all these things going on around us, and it just seems like, God, what is going on? When is this going to stop? Uh, as believers, we look forward to the coming of Christ. And I just, in my mind, in a human mind, I can't imagine how much longer he can put up with this sort of thing happening. Then there's the recent killings of, in Connecticut of the school children. It's beyond our understanding. How is it, what is it that pushes someone so far psychologically that they're able to go in with a gun and shoot innocent school children? Or the case of the uh, Boston Marathon, that uh, bombing, innocent bystanders were killed. What type of person does this? We often hear that it's someone who has no friends, no faith, no hope, and they're just lost. The Bible gives us some descriptions of things that are going on like this in the world. In Psalm uh, 14, 1-3, it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, 
There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. What a sad commentary on man today. In Luke 6.45, Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. When I read that verse, I thought of Abraham Lincoln, someone that was in such a position of authority and loved his fellow man that he was willing to put his own political life at stake by freeing the slaves. A good man, something doing something good out of the good treasure of his heart, and then being killed by John Wilkes Booth, an evil man that brought forth evil. More bad news is that things will not get better. I'd like you to look uh, in your Bible at Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three verses one to five talks about perilous times and perilous men. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. I recently had an exchange with a, a buddy of mine who moved with his family to Ohio many years ago, and before he moved, uh, he was a committed believer in the Catholic Church. And when he moved, he continued, his, he, uh, he continued his education and went for an advanced degree. And as he got more education, you could see that his faith was being pushed aside. And we see that a lot in today's schools because the high schools and universities, well, even the elementary schools, are not teaching our children about Christ. They're teaching us about the world. And so this buddy of mine has this form of godliness as a, maybe a former Catholic, but he's never really committed himself to Christ. And it really, that verse really stood out, having a form of godliness but denying its power. I think we probably all have friends who go to church, but you know, the rest of the week they're not really living a godly life. Also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says that evil men will grow worse and worse. So things are not going to get better. There's over one million abortions performed in the United States each year. God says in, in Psalm chapter 139 that he knit me together in my mother's womb. The New Living Translation says that God made all the delicate inner parts of my body. Do you think he's grieving? America is accountable for so many senseless murders. Our sin disconnects us from the plan God has for our lives. Those who have no faith in God feel that they don't have an accountability to their creator. They're held captive by their sin and it becomes 
destructive to their lives and those around them. A while back, uh, I took my family to see the movie Blackfish. It's a documentary on killer whales. Marine biologists will tell you that there's no record of these whales attacking humans out in the ocean. They're incredible creatures. They're intelligent and very family-oriented. They form strong bonds within their groups. But when taken out of their natural habitat, the way God created them, they become agitated and destructive in captivity, and they actually will attack other whales and their, their trainers. I found that it was interesting that man, while captive to his sin, outside of God's plan, can become destructive and hurt or kill other humans. And death is just not easy to deal with. It happens all around us. It can come suddenly or unexpectedly. My sister Yvonne was killed tragically in 1990. I remember waking up the next day and looking out the window and thinking, how can life just go on normally when my sister was just killed? Everyone was going about their normal daily activity. It didn't make sense that it was just another day. There was no stopping everyone's routine to grieve for my sister. It felt cold, uncaring, heartless, and I felt weak. But I was reminded of God's word because he says, in our weakness, we're made strong. And thinking about that helped me get through a really difficult time because you can only get so weak in your flesh where you, you either have to give up or you have to have a God who will hold you up and support you. Uh, a few years after that, my dad got sick. He got bad news of uh, lung cancer. And uh, it hit him like an uppercut. He was a boxing fan. And I remember him saying that when the doctor said that he had lung cancer, that he felt like he had just been hit you know, on the chin and, and his knees buckled like a boxer would go down in the ring. And then just a couple years after that, my little brother got sick. And he, he was dying in the hospital. And he was raised to believe in God, but he also had never committed his life to Christ. So when in the hospital literally on his deathbed he started asking about his mortality and what was going to happen after he died and uh, so my older brother and I would share with him and we would talk to him about Jesus and so one day uh, I was in his room and he said I really want to be forgiven for the things that I've done in my life I, I want to go to heaven I want to go to this place that you've described and so he said, will you pray with me? And it was just such a great moment to be able to pray a sinner's prayer with a family member who's dying and see him accept Christ and know that he's going to go on in eternity and that I'll get to see him again. The next day, when I went back to the hospital room, he said, I just want to make sure. Can we pray again? Uh, you know, it just seems so easy. And I said, you know, God loves you and you prayed, but we're going to do it again just so that you have an assurance. Well, what I found out later was that uh, during this time we'd go in and visit my brother, there was this little woman from Ethiopia who was the cleaning woman. And she'd come in and, you know, you're trying to have an intimate conversation with your family member and here's this lady sweeping and spraying and cleaning and you know and I was she was really beginning to become an annoyance well 
I never said anything to her, but um, after my brother passed away, I found out that that woman was a Christian. And she heard the conversations that I was having with my brother. And after everyone would leave, when visiting hours were over, she would go outside his room and pray for him outside his door. So God uses people, even in the least expected ways. When my boys were younger, uh, talking about death, we, we went to an arena football league game at Staples Center. And there was a kickoff where uh, one of the LA Avengers players uh, dove to make a tackle. He landed wrong, he hit his head, he had a spinal cord injury, and it killed him. Um, I think he died before they even got him to the hospital. 26 years old. Unexpected, just like that. Um, I'm a photographer, and a lot of the work I do is healthcare related, so I'm at hospitals. Uh, ancillary groups, radiologists, surgeons, that sort of thing. Um, I was at a photo shoot at, the, at a hospital last year where they needed some photographs of administrators and some VIPs, and I had set up and, and taken their pictures. And they were going to start a meeting shortly thereafter. And as I was putting my gear away, they, they went ahead and started with the meeting, and they were talking about situations that had happened at the hospital um, and what to do about them. And they have to document all of this. And they talked about the case of a pregnant woman who had come in to deliver her baby. She arrived and checked in and went into the operating room and there was a serious complication and the woman died. The baby lived, but the woman died. And it makes me wonder, you know, this woman came into the hospital. Who was with her? Did she have anyone when she died, or did she die alone, which I think is a great fear of everyone's. And what about this baby? You know, um, who's going to raise the, the child? But this is just a daily situation where death is occurring, and we're all in situations where we, we plan our lives. We're looking at what we're going to do tonight and tomorrow and the next day, and we don't know when God's going to take us. And, and, the Bible tells us to be ready. A former neighbor, just last Christmas Eve, died of a heart attack. He was driving with his wife and young son. He got out of the car to catch his breath and he dropped dead. In Florida, not too long ago, a sinkhole swallowed up a man as he laid in his bed. They couldn't save him. He Literally, death came to him like a thief in the night. None of these people expected to die on the day they were taken away. The Bible tells us that life is fleeting like a vapor. James uh, 4, verse 14. Fleeting like a vapor. You, know, you ever see a cup of coffee and a little steam rises off of it? Or you, know, you take a nice hot shower and this steam kind of rises up. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. It just disappears. That's the way Bible describes life. The, the way the Bible describes it. And, and working as a photographer, my work consists of moments measured in milliseconds. When I set up a camera and open up the shutters to take a picture, it could be anywhere from maybe one second to one one-thousandth of a second. It happens so quickly. It's just a moment in time. And if we were to look at our lives in the context of history, 
and you spread out a timeline, we're just a tiny dot on that timeline. So we're not here for very long. There's something that goes on beyond what we, what we were able to witness here in our lives. But we all process and respond to death and bad news differently. And it's sad. In Exodus chapter 33, God was so angry with the people for their disobedience that he didn't want to go with them to the land he had promised. He told Moses that he might consume them on their way because of their stubbornness. When the people heard the bad news, they mourned. Look at Jacob's life. Turn to the book of Jacob. All the terrible things that he had to deal with. Satan took his livestock, killed his servants and his children. So in Job chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Then Job arose after all of these terrible things happened, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then Satan responded with an attack on Job's health. If we look at chapter 2, verses 5 through 10, Satan says, But stretch out your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Uh, Satan's telling God. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. In other words, you can do whatever you want with him, just don't kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this... Job did not sin with his lips. He never cursed God, despite everything that he was going through. Losing his family, losing his possessions, this terrible health situation that he was in. You look at verse 10, you know, he he tells his wife, you speak as a foolish woman. It's as if he's saying, boy, are you stupid. You know, I mean, we, we know God, and look what you're saying, you know. Despite keeping his integrity and not blaming God, Job, in chapter 3, verse 6, curses the day he was born. The New Living Translation puts it this way, Let that night be blotted off the calendar. In other words, I wish that day never existed. Nobody wants to go through difficult times. And I couldn't help but cut out this uh, comic strip. It's Peanuts, Charlie Brown, because it was perfect. Charlie Brown and Linus are sitting against a fence. And Linus says, Life is difficult, isn't it, Charlie Brown? Charlie Brown says, Yes, it is, but I've developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. (laughs) This can all be really depressing. Uh, Bad news, death. Um... I wouldn't be surprised if right now you're thinking, great study, Chris. Thanks for the nice, uplifting message tonight. Um, But I apologize, and I just want you to know that there there is light at the end of the tunnel, so we're going to move forward. But before we get to the really good news, we have to realize that sometimes what we think is good news 
may not be to someone else. Let me give you an example. Um, before I started working as a photographer, I was a sales rep for Fujifilm. And uh, one day I was called into a meeting, and they informed me that there were major cutbacks and they were letting go of, peop- uh, of the, their employees throughout the country, and I was on that list. So I was driving home, and I was thinking, well, maybe this is a blessing that I can now pursue my photography full time. And so I got home, I walked through the door, my wife was wrapping Christmas presents, and my boys were toddlers at the time, so they were kind of running around making noise, typical boys. And Kathleen said, how was your day, dear? And <laughs> even thinking about it now, I still get this smile on my face because I said, I just got laid off. And Kathleen immediately broke into tears and said, what are we going to do? We have a home. We have a family. What I thought was good news made my wife cry. <laughs> I did my best to reassure her that I would use the skills that God gave me and he would provide for us. And that was 12 years ago. And we know from our experience that God provides and he meets our needs. And he may not make us financially wealthy. He may not, he may not put us in the position that we have in our own minds for ourselves. But he does provide. Here's another example of thinking you're delivering good news only to have it backfire. Turn back to uh, 2 Samuel, chapter 4. Old Testament, 2 Samuel. We'll start with verse 2. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Banah, and the name of the other, Rechab, the sons of Rimon, the Berathite, of the children of Benjamin. For Berath was also part of Benjamin, because the Berathites fled to Gitam and have been sojourners there until this day. Verse 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephobesheth. <laughs> I'll, I'll skip that one. Then the sons of Rimon, the Berathite, Rechab, and Banah set out and came at, at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. Ishbosheth at that time was, was the king of Israel. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat. And they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Banah, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and his descendants. But David answered Rechab and and his brother, the sons of Rimon, the Berathite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, when someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? 
Therefore shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. These guys came running in with the great news that they had for King David, and to King David it was terrible news, and he executed these guys. Fortunately, our lives are not all about bad news. We generally have ongoing blessings in the form of basic good news. A payday, a vacation, marriage, newborns, uh, your team wins, that sort of thing. The usual sort of things we consider basic good news. Then there's really good news. In Luke chapter 2, Mary had just given birth to Jesus and laid him in a manger. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2 and read the rest of that story. We'll get an early jump on Christmas. <laughs> Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. God loves us so much that he gave us his son, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Not in these aging bodies, but in new ones that will never get old or feel any sickness or pain. Aging bodies. Uh, anyone over a certain age, and I'll just, I'll just call it middle age, you know, you realize that you now have physical limitations. There are certain things you used to be able to do in sports or in your activities that your body just doesn't hold up to anymore. Um, one of my sons played flag football uh, when he was in middle school. And at that time, I, I knew that I was already, my, my knee, my right knee was beginning to bother me. And it was getting frustrating, and I, I just, I knew that that injury was there. It was always in the back of my mind. So there's a flag football game, and the opponent's team had to forfeit because they didn't have enough players, and they didn't show up. So the coach of our team says, hey, dads, come on, and let's scrimmage the kids. So Kathleen's sitting next to me, and I had actually taken my camera. I was going to take pictures of the game. And I look at her, and, and I said, I, I want to play. And she said, okay, just be careful. And so, you know, it's funny how your mind works. Right after we started playing, they threw me a pass, and I started running towards the sideline. And here comes one of the players to grab my flag. And I thought, in a split second, my mind said, if you make the cut and go upfield, you're going to blow your knee out. If you just run out of bounds, you might look stupid, but <laughs> at least you'll save your knee. And so this was one of those rare occasions where I did the right thing. <laughs> and I ran out of bounds and saved my knee. But um, I, I recently did tear a meniscus in my knee. And so the point is that 
your body begins to break down and little things begin to happen. And if you're a teenager right now or in your 20s, I know you're smiling and you're, you feel invincible, but your time will come. <laughs> Second Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 5.8 says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When, when, when we are delivered out of these shells, we'll be with God. These are temporary encampments. This is an amazing comfort. We have to deal with horrible news, like the massacre of innocent schoolchildren in Connecticut, knowing that they are in the loving arms of Jesus. If there's a real comfort that children of God, whether they're little children or aging uh, adults, that if they love Jesus, he's going to be there to comfort them. He's going to wrap his arms around them. And it reminds me of a song that we hear here at, at this church. Um, I don't know the name of it. Tony, I know you'll know, but it's I'm, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. And every time they play that song, it, it melts my heart because... The words are they're so visual that I think about when, when my boys were little and I'd come home from work or from wherever I was and I'd pull up in the driveway and these guys, you know, three, four years old, would come running out the front door, Daddy, Daddy, and they would jump up and give me this big hug. And they're teenagers now, so you know they don't do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm lucky to get a hug. But, um, but when they were that age, and, and you get the sense that this is the feeling that a heavenly father has for his children, that you just come running to him, and he opens up his arms, and he gives you a hug, and he tells you that he loves you. When we lose loved ones, it's only natural to feel sad. I recently heard a little story about hundreds of caterpillars joining together to mourn over the loss of one of their family members. This may be an old story to you. I had never heard it, so bear with me. It seems that they had all gathered around the cocoon and cried. What they didn't notice through their weeping was the beautiful butterfly fluttering above them, trying to call out and let them know that he had a new body and that they should all be happy. Isn't this what Jesus did for us? He died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again with the promise of giving us a second life. One that will last forever. This is good news. Jesus overcame death. Without his resurrection, we have no hope. The caterpillars, without the promise of a transformation, are doomed in their cocoons. Our spirits will be removed from these temporary bodies and transformed into something better for eternity. Have you ever seen the body of a dead person, maybe a loved one, someone that, that passed away and you, you were at the hospital or you went to the funeral home? Their spirit's gone. It's really difficult to describe if you haven't seen it, but it literally looks like a shell, like something is missing from that person. And it's not just so much the life, but their spirit has is gone. It's The essence of who that person was has been removed. And it leaves only that exterior shell. It doesn't even look like the person anymore. Something's missing. That's why as believers we say, when someone died, he's gone on to be with the Lord. We have assurance and confidence 
in the promises of God. He is faithful. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You can figure this out in your head, and you can say, well, you know, there's a lot of religions and they all lead to God. There's a lot of paths and they all lead to God. Jesus, his words are that he's the only way. He's the truth. He's the life. So we can take Jesus at his word and believe him and have assurance in his words. Or we can kind of feel like maybe we'll take our own path and follow the worldly way or what the world tells us is the correct way to go. We have to be willing to follow. Let me put it in football terms. There's the playoffs and Super Bowl coming up. Our lives are short. There's much work to do. It's the fourth quarter. The bad news is that there's only two minutes to go in the game and we're down by three points. The goal is in sight, but we could panic and make mistakes. We could gamble and lose. The good news is we could put our trust in the quarterback to lead us down the field for the winning touchdown. In our case, as Christians, our leader is Jesus Christ. And we can't We cannot be defeated if our faith is in Jesus Christ because the victory is already his. He has already overcome death. He's paved the path for us, and all we have to do is stay on it and trust in him. This past uh, summer, I couldn't make it to the men's retreat due to a photo shoot I had uh, that weekend. But I went the year before in 2012, and it's it's such an incredible blessing to see God pour out his Holy Spirit on the lives of men, a group of men together. One young man even said afterwards, this is how I want to live. When I came down off that mountain, I was on a spiritual high. Then there was a real attack by the enemy on my life. For some reason, I just all of a sudden started getting very stressed about things. I got anxious, and it got to the point where my breathing was even getting difficult. I was afraid to go on my next photo shoot because I didn't think I'd be able to get through it, and I seriously considered outsourcing the job to another photographer friend of mine. But I didn't want to be defeated, and I couldn't let it get to me. So I drove to the photo shoot, and I arrived early so that I could sit in my car and pray. And what I did was I opened God's Word, and I began to read the Psalms. And many of you know when you're hurting, when you're seeking answers, and you open God's word and you pray, he'll provide answers for you. In the New English Translation, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 of Psalms says, Protect me, O God, for I have taken shelter in you. I say to the Lord, you are my only source of well-being. And I thought about that and how I could have easily turned to some sort of a book or people turn to counselors or therapists and don't get me wrong, there's, there are Christian therapists, but God's word has answers that will jump off the page at you because God wants to comfort you. Psalm 30 verse 2 says, O oh Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. 
And Psalm 31.7 says, I will be happy and rejoice in your faithfulness because you notice my pain and you are aware of how distressed I am. How comforting is that, that the God of the universe knows how distressed you are. I, I think there's, there's so much that can be taken from that, knowing that, I mean, sometimes we think of God as this, you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, and he's lashing out, you know, or, or Pastor Richard sometimes says that he used to think that God was just standing there with a stick waiting for him to get out of line, and he could, you know, whack him with it. You know, we have a loving God. We have a God who went to the cross for us in our place. By the time I had finished reading and praying, there was a sense of peace that allowed me to overcome my weakness and Satan's attack. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. God's, uh, God's word is healing and offers a peace that goes beyond understanding. In my own strength and effort, I'm not capable of defeating the enemy. Last year during a study here, Pastor Richard said something that I wrote down and put in my Bible. He said, don't fight the flesh. Instead, strengthen the spirit. If we're weighed down by bad news, don't try to fight it off in the flesh. Strengthen the spirit with good news. Read your Bible. Pray. It's kind of like knowing there's certain things you shouldn't eat, but you eat them anyway. Um, I always tell Kathleen, don't stop buying M&Ms and put them in a bowl on the table. <laughs> you know, I mean, where do you think they're going to go? I'm going to eat them. I mean, same thing, cookies, they're my weakness, you know, but they're bad news. If there's fresh fruit on the table, instead of, you know, junk, I'll, I'll eat that. So you know, we can consider a lot of what's on TV or on the Internet in the same manner. Don't invite it into your heart and your mind. The Bible says that letting the sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That's from Romans chapter 8. The worship team here plays a song with a line that says, Rid myself of me. Ouch. That's a tough one. Rid myself of me. That's a very... If you're a selfish person, and I'll, I'll say that I'm a selfish person, and some, you hear something like that, and I rid myself of me. There's a right way to do it according to God, and there's a way that in my mind I think, well, I can do this. I remember when my son Robbie was a little guy, and he used to say, I'd tell him, hey, Robbie, you can't do that, and he'd say, I can do it. I can do it. He had this gravelly little voice. I can do it. So what is our responsibility with the good news or the gospel? Should we keep it as a secret? Do you have to be a club member? Jesus has given us the great commission to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's from Mark chapter 16. I mentioned a former neighbor who died of a heart attack. He lived across the street from me for several years, and I never shared the gospel with him. How many of us have wasted opportunities that God has brought before us to spread the word? What are we afraid of? Rejection? They might say no. 
People are dying in their sins and we're not out doing our part to save them. They're drowning and we're not tossing them the proverbial life jacket. I want to share a couple of uh, stories about portraits that I did recently or this past year of two elderly people. Um, Some of you may have seen one of the posts on on Facebook I did early this year. Uh, I went to photograph a woman who's 102 years old. She's now 103. And except for her caretaker in the home, she was alone when I got there, sitting in a chair in her kitchen, just kind of looking out the window. Very sharp. Her mind was still, you know, active, and she could think and speak clearly and hear and see. And uh, I wanted to do something special with the, the portrait of her, so uh, I, I asked her if she had a photograph of her as a child. And she... And her assistant, she was in a a wheelchair, her assistant wheeled her into her room, and she came back out with this beautiful old photograph of her as a two-year-old. And it was framed really nicely, and she sat down on a chair, and she just stared at this portrait of her that was taken over a hundred years ago. And that's when I took the picture, and, and I just, this moment of her looking at it was just so special. And I, I really, I just had a few minutes to talk with her. And she said, I don't know how much longer I have to live. And I said, oh, you're, you're healthy. You're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to live a long time, you know. <laughs> what, what do you say to someone who's 102? You're going to, you know, yeah, I mean. I was just at a complete lack of words, and I said something completely stupid like that. So I felt bad, and I, I went home, and I made a print of that photograph, and, and I, I actually prayed about it, and I went back about two weeks later. And she invited me in, and I said, Dorothy, I've got this photograph for you. And she took it, and she looked at it, and she was very thankful, and she had me sit down with her for a few minutes. And I felt, the, I felt the Holy Spirit pressing upon my heart to pray with her. And I said, Dorothy, would it be okay if I prayed with you? And she said, sure. So we prayed. And the prayer wasn't anything special. I mean, I couldn't even tell you the words right now if I tried to remember. But something touched her heart. And her response said, she said, no one has ever prayed with me before. And I left there thinking, how can someone who's a hundred years old never have anyone pray with her? At some point in her life, did she not cross paths with believers who were willing to to pray with her? Um, it It was sad to me as a Christian that there's people out there who are not being prayed with. And they're struggling, they're hurting, they don't know Jesus, and you may be the only opportunity that they have to hear the gospel and the truth about Jesus Christ. The second story is uh, another elderly person who I had a chance to photograph, 97 years old. His name is Rudy. He's a, uh, a veteran. And I went to his home, and this guy was... Sharp as a tack, 
He remembered all of his war stories. Um, I, I heard so many different things about his family and, and just had a great conversation with him. And once again, before I left, I felt like God was asking me to pray with him. And uh, let me back up a little bit. I, I'm in front of people, or behind the camera with people every working day that I, I have an opportunity to shoot. I don't always put myself out there. I know that I can't, if I'm shooting for a client, I can't just start talking about Christ to someone. So there's, there's kind of a fine line when I feel like God's saying it's okay. And so again, with this man, I felt like it was time to, to pray. And, and so I sat down with him. I asked him if it was okay, and he, he welcomed uh, the opportunity to pray. And his response was somewhat similar. He said, what a blessing. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And you just got the sense that this guy's alone and nobody's praying with him. And the Bible tells us that we're supposed to look out for widows and elderly people and people in prison and sort of the forgotten people of the world. You know, we always want to be with our friends and the cool people and our family and friends. And, and there's people out there who are alone. And you may know some of them. Some of them may be your own family members that are just yearning for some companionship, for some prayer, for someone just to hold hands with while they pray. There will always... Uh, be a, a daily onslaught of bad news as long as we're in this world. We've been given good news and the commandment of Jesus to share it with others. Let's remember the words of Christ when he, when faced with bad news. When we're faced with bad news, this is what Jesus said in John 16.33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The bad news is going to be out there. It's going to hang over us sometimes. But if we focus on Christ, the good news, the gospel, then we have victory. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for just getting a chance to learn about you and read from your word. And have the Holy Spirit here amongst us, Lord. We're so grateful that you've called us to be children of God. And that despite bad news, despite the things that are going on in the world, we can focus on you and we can trust your word and know that there's going to be an ultimate victory and that we'll come out on the winning side of eternity and your grace is sufficient and that you've gone to the cross in our place. We don't deserve what you've done for us, Lord. You've done it simply by the love that you have for your children. I don't know who's out here tonight. I, I recognize faces from being at Calvary Chapel for many years. But if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, this is an opportunity, maybe your only opportunity, to accept Christ into your life. You've probably heard about Jesus, you've maybe read the Bible, you've maybe gone to church at a certain time, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus and would like to invite him into your heart, we don't want to embarrass you, 
We just want you to raise your hand and say, I want Jesus in my life. If there's anyone here tonight that would like that, that would like the opportunity, God bless you, sir. Raise your hand. He'll come into your heart. He'll change your life. And he'll put you on the right path. Anyone else? Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Okay. Let's pray with this gentleman. Pray these words along with me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. And I want you to come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a new mind, a new heart. And help me to follow you and trust in the things that you've done for me, Lord. I love you. I praise you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.